What is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason, and joining me in the Meeple Minded studio this week is our newsman, Paul. How are you doing, Paul? I am absolutely great. I'm Good. glad to be out of the shed for the week. Indeed, indeed. But we're not alone, are we? Nope. Weird. I've left the duck in the shed. You've left the duck in the shed. I mean, that that's good. I'm glad you left the duck in the shed. But uh, we are also joined over the interwebs by Tom from Trolls and Rerolls. How are you doing, Tom? Uh, I'm good. Cheers. Hello. Very nice to have you here. Are you looking forward to a good chat about board games? Yes, definitely. All I do with my life at the moment is board games. So, um, yeah, very keen to, to chat about them. Sounds like a life that all of us dream of. Nothing but board games. <laughs> I mean, you guys must do it uh, at the moment. You guys must do loads of board games, like, you know, between the podcast and all the, uh, you know, kind of games days you do and stuff. It must be your life as well. I, I would definitely say for me, it is because I, I run quite a few different game clubs. Uh, but uh, what about you, Paul? Uh, probably not as much as I'd like to. Uh, just work getting in the way. Game days are the thing for me, and I try and attend your game evenings yeah. as and when I can. Um, but yeah, I would certainly enjoy a bit more time to game. So are you uh, are you gaming every day then, Tom, or are you uh, more doing other things gaming related? So since doing the Kickstarter, and I mean, we, we basically started getting the ball rolling about a year and a half ago uh my amount of gaming has plummeted um <laughs> and so that's why it's yeah it's very nice to kind of have an excuse to now talk about it <laughs> and be here um uh at least i've been able to play a lot of, of our game with a lot of people and, and i've been able to meet a lot of our publishers and play their games and so actually there has been some gaming but it's um yeah right now it's you kind of transition from designing to publisher and then when that happens most of your life is like marketing or being online a lot and having to do a lot of that kind of stuff more than actually playing games unfortunately i i can totally understand that like again when it comes to the podcast side of things i spend a, a lot of my time sitting on sort of facebook doing you know different advertisements and oh what can i post today to drum up some interest in the page and i know paul does that with his game club as well and yeah sometimes you just sort of think i just want to play a game and not have to worry about you know what people out there want to see absolutely <laughs> and it's finding the people at the right time to sit down and play with because i've never really got into the whole solo thing i would say that's definitely something i don't do i, I don't do solo games what about what about you tom no I, I i'm with you guys like it's uh i love gaming for the social interaction and the kind of uh you know i bounce off other people as well and so i, I think solo games i have i tried the um judge dread helter skelter uh solo mode uh recently and i mean it was interesting like but i, I did feel like it was kind of probably not the real uh, the real kind of effect that they they're going for with the game which you'd get from from multiplayer yeah i i can totally understand that i don't think any games unless they only do solo i don't think any games really work perfectly with the solo mode like i've i've played marvel legendary solo before because that's one of my favorite games of all time but you know just how it just loses that sort of connection you have with you know your friends group playing the game and i i really want to try i've just got arc nova i really want to try that solo as well but yeah am i going to enjoy it as much it's a bit mathy i might just feel like i'm doing math homework <laughs> <laughs> yeah it tends to be like a thing that a lot of kickstarters just bolt onto the end of it mm. oh we've got a solo mode as well one does wonder whether that is from what's happened the last two years i mean what do you think do you, do you reckon it's 
because of the fact that we've all been shoved in our houses for a year and a half and we still want a game, but we can't go and meet our friends to play. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's definitely a factor. I mean, a lot of the Kickstarters that happened over the last two years, I think they were thinking about that. Um, but I also think you, you are right, Paul, that it's, it's something that I think publishers are under more pressure to include in their game and i've i've already had uh, one or two comments where they said oh have you thought about trying to make it into a solo game and this is a very uh compare yeah it's competitive uh you know kind of air control game uh, you know there's a lot of kind of like um although it's, it is technically a take that game but it's, it's take that with a little t um because yeah there's nothing you can really do to ruin someone else's experience or anything which some take that games are are kind of tailored towards but essentially there's a lot of interaction with other people and solo mode is the complete opposite of that and so i i couldn't imagine how that could be the case and i think a lot of publishers are kind of under pressure to to be like well we could get more backers if we put solo mode in but then does it actually work absolutely yeah and i think that's where games you know one thing that we do as some of our podcasts is obviously game highlight episodes and there's been a few times where i've sort of thought to myself as like well this game doesn't really suit a solo mode is it there through peer pressure of people saying oh no you've got to have a solo mode so well why they don't have to if they don't want to if it wasn't designed that way or planned from the start then it's probably not going to work as well as it should yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. i think that's probably what a lot of people are under so yes um i'm sure we'll get into a bit more detail a bit later on about trolls and rerolls and obviously your up and coming kickstarter which we've hinted at a little bit there but we would definitely be remiss if we didn't start at the very start for you and asking how did your journey in gaming start and what would you say is your earliest gaming memory? So I guess uh, it was a tangent with board games and video games, a combination of the two, I'd say. Um, I wasn't playing many like modern board, board games or or kind of, uh, kind of more... Uh, you know board games i played when i was young as family games and so on which i think is a lot of people's experience when they were kids you know playing family games um but i did get a chance to play um the old space crusade if you've ever played that or oh yeah yeah um and and at the time it was such a fun thing that my brothers were doing and i'd I'd get involved in it you know it's a really nice memory because of that um but that game definitely uh was such a a kind of an entry moment for me into the kind of into the world of you know kind of cardboard addiction <laughs> and um and then alongside that was uh you know certain video games at the time like the old snares and the old kind of uh um, and yes uh n64 and stuff like that but then also um my brothers had things like borders gate and, and borders gate 2 which were D uh, D uh based video games and and those all kind of added together to make a genuine geek <laughs> so uh you know and, and that's kind of what led me down the path of doing um hobby stuff and and actually i, I weirdly I, I kind of remembered a, a few years back I, I started remembering i was like wait a second i actually made a few games when i was a kid and i started i've actually probably done that quite a lot just as a creative outlet um but it was um not that they were any good uh but it was uh yeah it was something that I've clearly had a bit of a passion for for a long time. Nice. So, so what would you say was the very first game you think you played? So, obviously, let's if we put aside family games, I think Space Crusade is actually the one. That's a good start. Did you jump straight into the sci-fi, or did you tinker with a bit of Hero Quest first? Or funny enough, yeah. So we actually also had Hero Quest, but I seem to remember as 
a lot of those games did uh they got beaten up and bruised by the people <laughs> who played them and you know limbs came off the miniatures and kind of oh, yeah. uh yeah they went missing down the back of a sofa and uh Stop yeah hero crest was too beaten up for me to actually play but i remember having the tokens and then and the miniatures and being like oh this looks so cool i wish yeah. my brother's hand had chucked out the window or whatever <laughs> well i'm not boasting but i've just picked up the uh reissue of hero crest <laughs> I think I'd still rather have the original. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of the miniatures aren't as good, and uh, yeah. especially if you listen to uh, our friend Bardic broadcasts. Mm. Uh, the best thing about Hero Quest is probably the original. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's great. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I I did see the remaster, and and um, and to be fair, I you know I can see why people went for it. It's very nostalgic and mm. so on. But um, I'm I'm a bit wary of those kind of. Uh, you know, re-releases because a lot of time they feel like it's probably not going to have the same quality, the same, you know, it's going to be an imitation and maybe that imitation won't be as good. Now, I, I don't actually personally know how the remaster version, um, you know, was and obviously you're saying maybe not as good as the original, but I think that's the problem. A lot of people were probably trying to scratch that nostalgic itch and it was just, uh, you know, that's it. It's not the real thing. You know, it's not, it's not what you remember when you're a kid. Yeah, exactly. And it, to be honest, it's pretty much just a reskin, a fresh look, a mm. few updated miniatures and things, and it's still got all the same missions and everything that the originals had, including the expansions. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty much a reskin, so you're going to have the same thoughts and theories on it that you would yeah. have had originally. But again, it's that nostalgia, bits and pieces that's going to uh, get people to buy it mostly. Mm. And they couldn't use the um the they didn't have the IP anymore, did they? So it's uh yeah, it's no the longer work slightly changed. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. They obviously couldn't use the word chaos because obviously that's a Games Workshop trademarked thing. Yeah, um, I think to be honest, I, I reckon that's why the miniatures changed so drastically as well. Was obviously the original miniatures would have been sculpted by Games Workshop, and you know, Games Workshop like to take on literally anyone that might infringe on an ip and <laughs> come down on you like a ton of bricks you know or a ton of, or a ton of plastic whatever they've got to hand but yeah it's funny you say that because actually we did a, a i at the early days of charles and reels i started doing blog posts um on our website and i i had this amazing blog post in mind for um for a kind of talking about space crusader my my love of it and how i got into it and how i ended up adapting it in later life and kind of having my own custom version like i did a lot of work on like homebrew stuff for it mm. and i was going to do this whole epic thing and i had this whole story about you know this super soldier running through like this like kind of like a hellish kind of like ship and all this kind of stuff and then eventually being blown away by like a, a tiny green imp in a leather jacket with a blunderbuss uh, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff um and it was it was a really good article and uh, and then i literally just clocked i was like wait could i get banned for this could i get the ban hammer come down upon me and i was like right scrapped <laughs> i was like yeah, sh- yeah, i've got to scrap it now <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you, that, you that need to it. send us that yeah, that that inevitable cease and desist letter that uh, appears on the doorstep, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So, um, so I I did a kind of more watered down, kind of like friendly, like kind of like uh, yeah, like nothing that I think I changed a few words and names and stuff, but it wasn't the same article at all. And so, um, you know, that's uh, yeah, I, it's a weird thing to think about when you're, you know, so small at the moment. Uh, just kind of would that cause an issue or anything like that? And uh, yeah, you just never know. I think it is definitely one of the things that you definitely never know because I think even Games Workshop never know. 
like what they're going to do because I, I remember uh, I think it was last year or maybe the year before they'd sent out to like media production people for for like YouTube they'd sent out some demo stuff which they were sending in order for those people to make videos and then when those videos went up they immediately sent them cease and desist letters and of course it's just sort of like well, you sent it to us <laughs> That is, it must be that they've gotten to a size where they have one side of the building saying, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like send out the stuff, it's great marketing. And the other side being like, uh, yeah, sniffing uh, the air and being like, wait a second, yeah. some uh, of our minis are about to appear in a video. But uh, yeah, so that's obviously a little bit about your, your history in gaming. Would you say that your tastes have changed somewhat since then? And what, what are you into now? Yeah, so definitely. I'd, I'd say that I went from doing what I guess was kind of Warhammer light, really. And mm-hmm. I did do a bit of kind of uh, collecting 40k and kind of collecting minis from that and stuff. But I, I never really kind of took it seriously. Um, and it was only really until I kind of got a bit older, maybe in my early 20s. And I, um, I think the first game... Uh, that I played that was kind of like a modern board game was Memoir 44. And that was, that's become a, a big favorite of mine. Um, and from that kind of point on, I was like, right, I've kind of completely forgot how much I like board games. Like, and this is <laughs> the first experience I've had of like uh, how good a board game could be that isn't, you know, had the quality of the components and the, you know, the kind of amount of content and the rules and, and kind of like the strategy that can be evolved. And yeah, I, I thought it, it's a very well-made game. Um, and I, I, that kind of became a, a, a classic. And then, um, yeah, that kind of snowballed into getting into other games. Uh, and, and I'd say some of the favorites that are still my favorites now are things like Evolution. I really love Evolution. Um, nice. I mean, I, I, I still like really simple games like Love Letter. You know, I think that's a very clever, very simple game that has so much replayability. Same with Skull. You know, both of those are great, just kind of quick games to, to, you know, kind of fill the night with. Um, and then Small World. I think Small World, like I, 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 anything that has a lot of tokens. Memoir 45 has a lot of tokens. <laughs> Evolution has a lot of like uh, races and cards and um, kind of um, and, and kind of yeah lots of components um, and then yeah small world um, having lots of components. Remember before having lots of components. I think that was really why I've kind of gone for them. So any game that has lots of components, I think, is the one. Quality components at that. Yes, quality because components. you've set yeah. your bar quite high with Memoir Forty Four. <laughs> Yeah. how low have you gone Paul <laughs> you know, well, what, you, what kind of games have you played around the, the, the mean well, streets well if you saw Jason order Azul that came in a pizza box <laughs> yeah we, we, we did a, a specific episode about like fake games you know that uh, you can buy out there so I had to go I had to suck up my own sort of integrity shall we say and ordered in knowing full well that it was a fake copy and you know we, we, we sort of just tore this thing apart and it genuinely it turned up in a pizza box basically <laughs> it was us all printed on a pizza box yeah that sounds amazing like i i i completely agree like and i should probably be a bit cautious of this because you know in a couple of years we might have what you know a game in the same situation possibly but uh, but but it does I, I don't know i think i'd find it quite charming if my game was uh uh you know kind of being sold bootlegged out of you know <laughs> and it's sold out of a tin of beans or something like you know i i want to see how they did it like you know i'd want to know like how they go away with it and, and actually to be fair like i've homemade our prototypes and you know maybe i can just put them on ebay or something and see how far they go <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well just think you'd be able to sue yourself when when you inevitably find out that it was you that was selling the fake copies all along <laughs> of course and get around that text damn it yeah <laughs> Although even playing the prototype the other week, it was 
the, the stuff was there. Yeah, it, it was pretty good quality as it was. But I regret ever making my own prototypes, Paul, and uh, <laughs> because it looks pretty decent, uh, and and uh, that means it's a million hours to get it to that that quality and and regrettably I, I decided that i was gonna make three of them so uh right now um yeah i'm, I'm just about to finish the last one and i never want to see a prototype ever again i want to see a craft nice again i never want to see like mdf or Greyboard. i just i really i just want to sleep basically <laughs> so heading on into your kickstarter at what point did you decide to take the plunge and start designing your own game like a lot of us like every one of us um you know the pandemic changed a lot of our lives and then had a, a major impact on you know what was our kind of di- direction in life you know went completely different direction and and you know i was previously a, a music teacher and i was previously a musician and i was uh previously you know i even uh, did a bit of paralegal work and you know, i was kind of like a jack of all trades and um and really, all of that dried up within the space of a couple of months, and I was basically made redundant. Um, and at that time, I'd kind of gotten to a point in my life where I was like, you know what, I don't really enjoy doing music as a as a job, and it's not really going to ever earn me any money. Um, you know what, I'm you know not going to want to go down the legal route or anything. That's not really my cup of tea. I like making stuff. And actually, funnily enough, it was a Hero Quest campaign, two Hero Quest campaigns. I was running back to back each week on tabletop simulator uh, that had loads of homebrew content like I, I basically made it into a kind of quite a different game yeah. um those two campaigns a lot of my friends were playing and and actually it was through those games that my, my friends kind of said to me hey look you're really good at making this kind of stuff why don't you go do that as a job and that's the kind of light bulb moment where i was like yeah like that makes a lot of sense uh, and so you know, within a couple of months, I'd kind of made a, f- a few games, um, and and one of those was Amulet Threx, and um, and yeah, like we, but that was in its kind of very early stage, and then uh, eventually I got to a point where it felt like that game actually could have some legs and actually be crowdfunded and actually exist in in as a game in the world, um, so then it was take the plunge, and and to do that, I basically set up the company, and that was to kind of right, you can't go back now. You know, you've, you've made it. You're out there public now. You, you have to do it. And so I've been doing it since. And it's, yeah, it's kind of snowballed from there. You've taken that swan dive off the top shelf. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm hoping I'm going to land in a nice wagon of hay. Uh, <laughs> but I I can see a kind of big slab of pavement. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, I really hope I go to the hay. <laughs> but, You're too high up at the moment. You can't see the hay. <laughs> well, that is, that's a great analogy. That's probably where I am right now. Like the Kickstarter campaign being a month away, I'm very much like, right, I, I think it's going to go a certain way, but you just don't know, you know. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed it's the hay. I, I was... I was I was going to say when you when you first started talking about like your past and stuff how we have very similar paths because I, I myself used to be a musician as well oh. um and you know in, in gigging bands and stuff like that and you know through injuries to my because i was a, i was a uh, thrash metal drummer oh, nice, so nice. through injuries to my legs i wasn't able to keep up with the pace of you know the songs that i'd written the so, double pedal <laughs> yeah with, with, with the double pedal and just the, the sheer speed that i used to be able to do i can't do that now unfortunately so I, I sort of quit all that years and years ago but then you started going on about like all the other stuff and being a teacher and i was like oh yeah maybe, maybe we're not so different you know, not so similar <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that's great. I, I, I mean, it's funny, actually, because you spoke to Tom uh, from Mayfly the other, mm-hmm. um, you know, last month or, and um, yeah, basically, uh, he used to be a musician as well. And Indeed. and actually, yep. yeah, we went to the same university. So it, like, it was funny. We met each other completely randomly through games. And it does seem like a lot of musicians tend to go into games. And I wonder if it's because of the creativity. I think that might be it. Um, you know, it's a, a very creative thing playing games, even mm. playing other people's games. There's a lot of customizability. There's a lot of immersion and imagination involved. Yeah, I think I would agree with that actually, because I had a good chat with uh, Luke at Geek Gaming Scenics uh, a few years ago, and he himself is a musician. So again, mm. the creativity side of things, like obviously with him, it's more creating like war game scenery and 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 stuff like that. To the point that he's now got a business around that as well. Yeah. But yeah. again, like you said, I think maybe it's that creativity side of things of music that might lend itself to doing well within the sort of the gaming industry as well I, yeah i'd say that and and the fact as well that there's a, a kind of culture that kind of comes with it like i mean i almost all the musicians i know are kind of geeky like mm. you know are kind of into their hobby stuff as well and and i so i think it's the kind of perfect storm between being creative and then also being exposed to it um so yeah i would say i'm not yeah i'm, I'm not surprised <laughs> to hear a musician um thrash metal probably yeah that's knackered like i couldn't do that i definitely couldn't do that <laughs> I, w- I will say like the the looks i get when people first turn up to my club they've never met me before and they sort of they're walking into a nerd's paradise sort of thing and then they see me and i'm just the polar opposite of what you expect to see you know i've got a bright it's it's green at the moment green mohican uh <laughs> You know, I, I've got lip piercings, I've got ear piercings, I've got the yeah. lot. And I'm just sort of like, I'm not your stereotypical sort of what people view as a, you know, tabletop gamer, if you like, you know, hermit sitting in the corner. Yeah. You know, but that 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 uh, impression though of gamers has changed a lot. Like, and I, mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously I came into the hobby a little later than, um, you know, than some people, and and don't have an experience of what it's like to be in the nineties in, into the gaming <laughs> hobby or the you know two thousands uh, too much. But I would say that any sort of stereotype of gamers being a certain way is is definitely washing away. And I think there's definitely a kind of, um, you know, it, I, we've been doing loads and loads of events you know in the run-up to the campaign and and so i've gotten to play the game with so many people and actually a lot of the younger people we're playing with are just from completely different kind of backgrounds and they all come together to play games and that's that's actually something i find really really nice about our hobby is um it's so inclusive and it's so you know you can have literally complete strangers sit down and instantly become friends you know it's, it's such a nice thing i don't know about you guys but when i was a kid when i was younger like i always used to think like you know i was one of those not not cool kids who you know liked all the geeky stuff and i always felt like i was like but but this is really fun like you're mm. missing out on this really cool stuff like yeah. like why are you like there's no like I'd, I'd much rather be on this side of the the fence and doing fun geeky stuff than kind of trying to act like i'm not a geek and 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 ultimately and that's as we've seen the geek culture has kind of really become more and more prevalent board games have become more and more normal hobby stuff anything like that's become more normal and cosplay and um, you know so i think that's where now you're just it is quite cool to do that stuff yeah i mean i used to live in the country and there was always a pile of sticks somewhere and it was either a sword or a gun yeah, one of the two. Oh, yeah. we used to charge around the fields. What are we playing today? <laughs> what are you yeah. on about? I still do that. <laughs> yeah, well, we buy Nerf guns and crap now. Well, this is true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, with your with the game designing that you've been doing, and you said you've 
been creating quite a few games. Obviously, one is a bit more further on than the rest. But what would you say are any are there any particular tools or tricks of the trade that you would say is is really a must have when creating a game? In terms of tools, there are a couple of cool things like tabletop simulator, which uh, are really helpful for like prototype, and I find that really helpful because it's it's just instantly making your digital bits and bobs and there's some other platforms as well that do that kind of thing Mm. but in in terms of the actual approach i think we all can make like fun games it's but i i think it the starting point really is just what would my group enjoy playing with me like what if i brought that to my group what would have you know what would make the most fun and i think a lot of people already do that kind of homebrew content they'll make especially people do like role playing you know they're, they're literally making new like scenarios and worlds and and settings um you know to accommodate their group and it's really just taking that and saying okay well i'll try it with a different group and see how they like this and Mm. as you kind of go and do that you start to really kind of gauge what's a fun game and and you kind of think well hey everyone i've played this with so far has had a lot of fun they think it's a great premise like maybe this is actually something that could go a bit more public and in that process playtesting is is key really like it's uh it's i've been very lucky to have a group of gamers who are willing to play my games every week you know for example um and so that's been really good just to keep bringing it to the table they see how it develops they see how it changes and and you know and there's been some major changes like really really dramatically different from two years ago up to now uh but um all for the better and that's because it's about getting that feedback so but i think yeah fun and and the kind of communal aspect um is is really key i guess obviously the one thing that doesn't fit quite quite into is what we spoke about earlier which is solo games Mm -hmm. you know solo gaming is one that that would be the harder one i'd have to make it and then actually give it to other people and see what they they say Uh, but again i pick my you know people who i play games with who i you know who are similar to me or anything like that and and i'd get some good feedback and then start bringing it to the, the wider audience and, and going that way and i think if you just have a dedication to changing make, being comfortable with taking this baby that you've kind of made it's really could be quite a personal thing and instead of letting it kind of be this untouchable like taking it personally i think like really just kind of saying right this is something that needs to be better you know, it's got certain good things, but these things are the weaknesses that keep coming up. If you've had, uh, my rule is that if you've had two or more people say the same thing, that's a concern, basically. Mm. If you've only had one person say something, that's probably more niche. But if you've had two or more, then you can almost guarantee that a good chunk of people are thinking it. So that's where I I think that kind of approach of just, okay, I'm I'm willing to take it to um, back to drawing board and, and make some changes and and there has been at least once or one or two times where i've actually um you know really changed it up quite a bit um so just having that kind of confidence to to keep working on it and and, and making it better and better and better and once you've gotten to a point where on the whole people feel like it's a finished game that's a great place to be yeah so i mean obviously you you were playtesting for a long time with your your sort of friends and family and stuff like that how, how long were you did you feel you you did that before introducing it to people say I know you've taken it to Paul's uh, game days and, and he's he's played there. How how long was it from designing, playtesting with your friends and then finally going, right, now it's ready for people that I don't know to get their opinions on it as well? So it, it was, um, I probably knocked out the core components of the game within about three weeks, like as in like kind of, um, and 
that was pretty much i've got now a game that's playable obviously there was a kind of risk that certain bits would be broken because it's so new uh, and then very quickly through playtesting those things came up and, and so on and so on and so on and actually to be fair it was um you know maybe like f- four five months after the kind of initial uh conception of it um was when I was starting to take it to the public. And as it started going to public, that's where some of the major changes started happening, really. So um, so by the time we'd actually said, hey, the game is here and this is what we're we're doing, um, you know, it had already gone through a lot of iterations and a lot of playing. Um, and like I said, a lot of almost weekly or twice a week, we'd played that game on Tabletop Simulator. I, I think the kind of big uh kind of changed the big kind of like uh the big test really was when we did ukge last year mm. and that was really nerve-wracking because i i just finished the first prototype and i hadn't had a chance to play it so at that point no one had ever physically played the game and here i am bringing it to our exhibition demo table and we sat down and and i i wasn't even the first to play it so i i, I didn't play it until probably saturday or sunday because i had someone else doing the demos on the t- on table a really great guy and yeah it was kind of such a really surreal experience to see it in the flesh and to see it on a table and to see it um, being played by other people and and it was yeah really strange um it was great because people were enjoying it and it felt like a real game and and that's the point where i was like right that like i was very worried about that <laughs> quite, <laughs> you know that was a concerning moment and now actually um you know i can breathe a little bit and then since that point it's just been actually mostly upgrading the physical components upgrading the the physical look and, and a lot of the comments that we've had for the last let's say eight months ten months really have just been uh, the gameplay's there it's just uh it's just changing some of the visual stuff so mm. you know and each month it's changed here and there and, and even you know kind of up to now like you know there's still a few things that when we do the kickstarter tokens will look uh kind of a bit more uh streamlined and kind of a bit more accessible and you know we've already done a lot of things with like uh, trying to make it more colorblind friendly and so on so it's it's stuff like that that's really more happening now whereas i think uh, the rule stuff was more last year when mm. the game was kind of just getting to the point where you could put on a table i think that's that's definitely a a good progression that you've had as long as like every time you know you've you've had a new iteration things have progressed on like you said you're now moving into you know making sure it's good for people that suffer with colorblindness and, and and stuff like that that i always view is something that does tend to come better if it comes later in the design process but at the same time would you say that maybe you wish you'd started thinking about that sooner or or, or did it just pan out perfectly for how you worked it I, I think being a first-time designer um, and publisher, and when I say first-time designer, I mean first-time released designer, mm. you know, first released designer. Um, I, I think you have to make mistakes and you have to learn from those mistakes. And I think you have to, you know, I don't think I could have done anything any differently, really, um, in terms of, because it's the only way to learn. Like, obviously, for future releases now, I kind of have a real understanding of how long it will take for the artwork to be done, uh, what to expect from the process, uh, how long it takes to make a Kickstarter profile and and, and campaign and, and get all the right stuff for it and, and get quotes. And, you know, I really understand now how that works. Whereas when I first you know jumped in you know you're very naive you just don't know and and that's what i mean it's um you know i think i'd thought we'd considered for example color blindness and then actually i i clocked the other day i was like wait a second that one part of the card is color based only mm. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's what I mean. It, it was like, you know, no, and no, no one had actually mentioned it. Like, that's the weird thing. No one actually said it once. But I now I was starting to cock it because I was starting to think like that. And I think that's the difference. I think early me who didn't know what he was doing wasn't able to comprehend that stuff because it was so new and so scary. And it was kind of, you know, a, a lot of the beginning of doing this has just been research and asking questions and hoping for the best and, and, and learning to take the plunge and, and say yes to the things and do things. And, you know, and you're just always doing new experiences and you have to get comfortable with that. Uh, whereas now it's a lot more, I'm starting to be a little bit more experienced uh, and, and it's a lot more now I understand some of the things that I should have done maybe earlier or changed, uh, which from future releases I can do, mm. um, I can do them. But I think given how much, uh, play testing has to happen with the physical version I, I think there's stuff that comes out through doing that which needs to be changed anyway so I, I don't think until you have the physical version in front of people and it's got the artwork there'll still always be problems that need to be ironed out because at that point it's more about uh, the visibility of stuff and, and so on and you know we know to increase the size of some of our icons and tokens which we're now doing so it's um you know that's something that we wouldn't have thought about until we actually had it in front of people around the table you know yeah i mean that's good because it means while the game's evolving you as a designer are also evolving so that that, that's that's great to hear to be Mm. honest so we've skirted around the uh the subject a little bit haven't we paul of the kickstarters yeah we're we're, we're gonna have some some great fun here because we're gonna try and pronounce the name of the game that you have coming to kickstarter (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I know we had a little bit of a laugh and a joke about this before before we started recording today. But uh, even, even so, I know what my pronunciation is like. So it's, it's it's over to Paul to ask the next yeah, question. It was nothing what you were saying. No, no, not at all. It's nothing to do with anthrax. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so the Kickstarter coming is Amulet of Thrayrax. Thrayax. 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 So close. So, so close. Yet so far. <laughs> would you say i mean that's that well, better really, than anthrax it is better than anthrax i mean that, that might just be because i was thinking of the band but you know <laughs> three acts um yeah it, it's definitely better than anthrax yes <laughs> that, that'll be our slogan for the kickstarter amethrax is better than anthrax <laughs> well there you go i've had my my input on the on the kickstarter i'm a happy man now <laughs> And so it's over to you. The the floor is yours. Yes, tell us. And about you it. can tell us a bit about it. Uh, so uh, it's a area control game uh, for two to six players. It's a competitive game, um, and it's uh, uh, a game basically about uh, kind of wacky cults uh, running around uh, this dystopian city called Bleakpire. Think a kind of Terry Pratchett esque kind of dystopian city, um, and they are trying to murder. Um, or harvest is our kind of family-friendly term. Um, uh, uh, nobles and peasants for points, basically. And nobles are worth big points, and peasants are worth small points. And essentially, uh, peasants are also used for things like currency and, and being able to like kind of move around and kind of uh, bid for first player and so on. So um, it they have a bit more kind of use. And, and as you do stuff in the game, there's a lot of card play, and the cards that you play move the peasants and nobles which essentially are resources um you know they move around the board as well and also into protected and unprotected areas which means you have to have a different tactic to get them in and out um and this is all whilst the amulet of thrax itself uh, or amulet of amthrax that we've now called it um <laughs> whilst it shines upon so it kind of it's it shines upon a, a district there's six districts um and in that district it's like a, a buff basically and you can do more things with your cards in that area so there's a lot of 
playing around with that whilst um, and manipulating the amulet's direction and its movement whilst trying to get as many points onto your sacrificial altar. Um, and then there's a few other things such as worker placement mechanics with uh, inconveniences that you can place down, such as plague rats and criers on the take and so on, uh, who will basically move uh, resources around for you and claim points for you. Um, and then you can also kind of assign and deploy infiltrators and jesters and like kind of people who will kind of like throw spanners in the work on people's tokens and so on so it's a lot of um like i said earlier it's, it's kind of take that uh but with a, a very small t because i think people think of take that as a very kind of um a bit of a party game mechanic and it, it's not so much that it's more you know it's very much a medium game you know it's very much a medium weight one and it's um you know a lot of the people who enjoyed it the most have been people who are quite into their kind of more serious games um but then also people who just like having fun with a group you know and, and kind of like and not taking it too seriously and uh you know there's a bit of that for both you know the strategy for one group and and the kind of you know the gateway element for other people um but it's uh let's have a take that game more of just kind of a competitive um yeah, very much a resource management game, basically. So, I mean, the artwork for it that we've seen is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, incredible. Well, is that your artwork or is that a third party? Yes, yeah, so I, um, I, I, I'll give you the flavour text of what happened. I was wandering, uh, you know, on the hills of Northern Ireland and I saw in the <laughs> distance this kind of, this farmer who looked beleaguered and looked very battered and kind of, you know, knee deep in mud. Um, but I saw his hands were beautiful and soft and, and, you know, and he'd painted all these beautiful pieces of art. And I thought that's the guy who's going to do our artwork for the game. Uh, and so I recruited him and his name's Vincent Weiss. And he's genuinely an, an a, a, uh, artist based in northern ireland is nice. genuinely a farmer uh, and he literally rears animals in the day and then in the evening he's making these absolutely beautiful pieces of art for the game um so we've been so lucky to have him on the project and um yeah like he's he's been amazing everything he does looks awesome yeah it, it certainly does but yeah he's uh he was someone who we kind of got in uh maybe four three or four months in and it, and it was very much a he was the right fit almost immediately the game itself looks very different from a lot of other things you mentioned terry pratchett and everything and you can certainly see that from the artwork but what was your inspiration in creating that sort of game so i feel like that because i've been asked a few times you know what what game is it similar to or could you give us a rough idea and and it's difficult it's really it's quite difficult to say because it has certain things about it that i haven't seen in many other games um i mean the look i would say um you know some people have mentioned funnily enough with Terry Pratchett that it looks a bit like the Ankh Morpork uh board and I can kind of see a bit of a similarity there uh but it, you know it's still quite different um so I mean a real influence for me like I said earlier was, was um you know my love of tokens and so on and, and I kind of to me I kind of uh it wasn't any game that kind of influenced me it was more i wanted to create a game that had a bit of a kind of more sinister kind of a slightly more anti-hero kind of vibe to it and that and i felt like my group of friends who and maybe this says something about <laughs> the kind of people i'm friends with i think they would appreciate a cult murder uh you know game where you're trying to what was originally just literally all part of the same cult like <laughs> trying to sneakily poison a well or something whilst uh guards kind of snooping around and so on and then it kind of evolved from that into my love of tokens i was like i want as many tokens as possible lots and lots of peasants <laughs> lots of nobles and it obviously as you've seen paul there's a 
quite a lot of tokens in the game. Absolutely, <laughs> you know? yeah. But nothing too, yeah. This it, it's nothing you know too complicated with the amount of tokens, and I think, uh, yeah, it it kind of works quite nicely how much is in the box. But it's uh, yeah, that that the amount of stuff that was in there was very much from my love of being like, well, I would love to play a game where you're an anti-hero and there's lots of beautifully, you know, beautiful artwork on little tokens and. You know, this is the way to make it happen. The amount of yeah. tokens are there for a reason. That's all we need to know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and yeah, that's completely right, yeah. You're not adding complexity for the sake of adding complexity, basically. No, that's it. Yeah, no, not at all. It's, uh, it's uh, funny enough, it did start off a, a lighter game. And as it evolved, it naturally just kind of got a bit more kind of medium weight until eventually I got to a point where I was playing. I, you know, I think I actually had... Uh, quite early on in its development, I had a online play test with a bunch of new guys I'd, I'd never played with before. And I'd been kind of warned that one of the guys coming was a heavy, heavy game. And I really just kind of like, refused to play anything that wasn't like heavyweight. And I was like, well, it'll be interesting to see what he thinks, basically. I, I, he's obviously not going to like it. And then we played it and he was like, I'm definitely backing it. And I was I was shocked. And I was oh. like, but <laughs> this is my entry level you know my kind of gateway uh game you know this is meant to be more like a gateway and and kind of like more into the world of medium gaming but not meant to be a medium game and now here it is as a medium weight game so it kind of yeah it, it kind of grew up and kind of like started getting a bit more kind of uh weighty naturally uh but it all kind of happened through playtesting and, and and kind of i think the rules as they are now once you've gone to grips with them it becomes very streamlined and actually you know it adds a lot of customizability and replayability uh, i mean especially from my playthrough it was the first few rounds as always with a new game that takes the time mm. yeah but once that was over and done with it was it was relatively straightforward and we sort of went straight through the game nice and yeah. uh, i thoroughly enjoyed my uh character who uh, controlled the psychic cats <laughs> yeah the, 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 the artwork king. for the cats is fantastic <laughs> yeah uh, the cat king has been a favorite definitely uh it's literally i guess for anyone who's not seen it, it's literally a mound of psychic cats in a coat basically uh <laughs> but vincent did this amazing piece of artwork so it's this kind of weirdly like humanoid looking pile of cats in a coat uh and has like a kind of crown and a and a cane and yeah it's kind of yeah it's really disturbing but uh kind of yeah strangely cute exactly i've got to say like that it does sound you know unfortunately i've not had the 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 joy of actually seeing this game or or playing the game but just from the sound of what you've told me about it like the terry pratchett-esque side of it it sounds like something that my missus is absolutely gonna love but like i said the artwork that i have seen has been absolutely fantastic i can't wait to play the game you've you've mentioned a sacrificial altar. I'm sold. <laughs> uh, it's the harvest pile. <laughs> yes, the family friendly harvest pile. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's a it's a very competitive game, which I, I've got to admit I do like. And as soon as you said take that, Mark, Jason's yeah, eyes just lit eyes. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and that's such a hard one because to take that bit, and and this is actually something that um, I think people who do kickstarters or anything they have to really think about how to sell their game and uh, and and actually to take that part that's the kind of most kind of like on the fence kind of uh, mechanic because in, in some regards some people love it they hear that and they're like yep that yep. is my yep. cup of tea Jason. and it, and in other respects some people hear that and, and as i said before i think that it might be um a lighter game or, or maybe that's a, a the the main mechanic and there's not not much substance potentially and yeah. I, I i don't know why that is 
you know the kind of stereotype that came along with um that that type of mechanic uh, but it does seem to be that's kind of sometimes echoed in some of the kind of corners of the community and stuff and i you know i i, I think that's why i say with a small t because it's very much the take that element is there but there's still a lot of strategy it's and so if you fundamental part of it yeah yeah, if you if you you know if I did something to affect your cult or something like that, it wouldn't have a um, detrimental effect on your ability to win. It would just mean you know, apart from it would disadvantage you in the short term, but not cause you to be out of the game or anything. You know, yeah. basically. So I think to a lot of people, they hear the words "take that" and they just hear conflict. Yes, yes, and a lot of people don't want conflict in their games. They'd rather either sit down and cooperate with yeah. each other or sit down and work on their own side of the board sort of thing. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like you said, it's with a small T. Yes. And uh, I think generally through our playthrough, there wasn't too much of the take that. Element and, and yeah, and that's what I've, I found definitely is that, um, and what I quite like about it is there's um, uh, that you can kind of sit in one corner of the board and kind of do your own thing if you want. It would only, you know, uh, other players would actually have to actively kind of come over to you to try and, uh, kind of affect your point scoring but they'd probably only do that because they might be risking points themselves they would only really do that unless you were actually in the lead potentially at that point you're already way ahead you know so it's it's you know it's you know i i think the amount of take that that's in the game is based on the kind of players who play the game i think i think it's a uh it's a very strategic game if i don't say so myself uh but it's uh but I think the take that element is very much a, you know, if you've got a group that love take that, they're going to do it. If there's a group that don't really like doing that, you know, I've had groups who are there who have not at all liked take that and they've still enjoyed the game because they've probably been a little bit more nice to each other. No, I can't, can't have people being nice in competitive games. It's just, it's just against the rules. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, Jason, you are the target audience here. <laughs> yeah. So would you say that the game has multiple strategies that you could take or is it all a case of no you 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 have to do this or you have to do that oh no definitely it's 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 very much you're in charge of your own kind of uh, decisions i mean and your your uh the hands that you have basically that you have three murder cards and three counter cards and, and you play one of each in each turn and basically you know depending on what cards you have will very much dictate what you're going to be doing that turn um but you've got multiple options with that you can also choose to burn those cards to place some of those workers on the board um you know to basically start building a, a mighty pageant uh, as i call it, a mighty peasant engine uh, which is literally just harvesting lots of peasants and, and kind of like and and getting those points in your your corn of the city mm. um but actually you know some players play very aggressive some players play very defensive some will yeah kind of actively kind of move around a lot some will not because it costs peasants to move so you're spending some of your hard-earned points to get to strategic locations and so on so yeah there's a lot of changeability and a lot of uh, variety in what you can do and and i think that's something that because i've played some very good games that i and i love that aspect and small world was a great example i love the whole you know you've got your kind of modifier and your race and and that's the kind of two things that kind of determine what special abilities you can do on the game i love that and i i I, and i i tried to embody some of that uh in in the game so there's always a bit of variety so you know there's things like indebted nobles where you can sign they essentially sign their soul away to your your cult and you want them to stay alive to the end of the game and there will be double points for you so essentially the whole game is designed around getting points onto your sacrificial altar but this is one token which you want to keep alive to the end of the game so your whole strategy could change because you want that double points 
Um, but now you're no longer just uh, going for your own points. You want to keep that one alive. Um, and things like the followers and yeah, inconveniences, I think uh, there's always something different you can do. I've got to admit, I, I'm I'm pretty sold on the game. <laughs> I definitely want to give it a go. I'm, I'm hoping that the stars will align at uh, a game day that we're both present at so that we can well so that i can get a game of this in because again i'm a i'm a kickstarter addict so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um I, like I, I know that the the date is very very close and i i would love to try and get a play of this beforehand i can imagine i'm probably gonna back it regardless but <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's lovely to hear um i mean it's um yeah we've got a couple of events that we're doing um we'll be at portsmouth comic-con uh next uh weekend so we'll be demoing nice. for two days uh there and then uh, obviously we've got the big uh, event ukg uh just after we launch so that's perfect um, as well uh, we are both going to be at ukg this year so Oh, perfect. Yeah, you can teach me how to play my own game, whip me, uh, you know, like, take me out. Because uh, I, 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 I went through a depressing spree at the beginning where I, I started losing a lot to my own game. And it wasn't even by choice sometimes. It was very much a uh, um, people had picked up strategies and then they were just better at using those strategies. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that all boils down to though, what, what plays to everyone's character better. So they, they're going to pick up on those strategies probably a bit quicker. True, true, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm not someone who's um, kind of, uh, I like my kind of bouncing off other people. And yeah, if it's a different crowd, that could change my play style, definitely. Because especially the characters within the game have all got asymmetric abilities, haven't they? Yeah, so the, so the base game, the one that we played, has uh, symmetrical rules, so all the same decks and, and same okay, uh, yeah. kind of powers. But the one of our very early stretch goals um, is adding in cult-specific rules and content. Um, so we're, we've got... Um, and that'll be optional content. So you once you've gotten used to the base game and you've kind of, you know, you know yeah, kind of maybe what you're doing, you, you've got a few ideas of how you're do it differently next game and so on you can start adding in quite a lot of different content such as those cult specific rules which will be more thematic and a little less uh balanced yeah like like uh, it when uh, stretch goals add extra replayability to the game so that's that's uh, yeah. a really good thing so hopefully we'll hit that stretch yes. goal yeah yeah and uh hopefully we'll be sat down at the table with you at ukg yes yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll probably look um, pretty haggard, might be the word. I'll probably look. Uh, I, I, I'm not looking particularly great now. A month before, I don't know how I'm gonna look uh, a couple of days after. <laughs> I'm gonna come cosplayed as the uh, Cat King. Oh, my, Paul, I will, I will, I, I, like, I'll just take you home. Like, I, just, like, like I, I don't know how, to, how I could. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. That would be that. That would be the best cosplay I've ever seen. <laughs> We always want new games. We're a very demanding bunch where we just want something new every day. If the yeah. postman isn't dropping off a game, I'm not a happy man. Yeah. So <laughs> You're waiting for the DPT van to turn up. You're waiting yeah. for the DPD van to turn up or the, the My Hermes van to turn up and him throw it out the window. Yeah, yeah. You know? know them by name. You know They know you by name. Exactly. Uh, you know? I actually genuinely, one of my DPD drivers has actually turned us, oh, what game have you got this time? It's like, oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> it's got a big Seamon label on the side of the box. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's when yeah. he empties the entire van out, isn't it, for one game? <laughs> well, three vans turn up at once. Um, exactly. Yeah. When your Jurassic Park game oh, turns yeah, up. Oh, yeah, when that eventually turns up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you... Um... With everything that's happening with the the Marvel game, have you you know, and with shipping, like have you, because you guys do a lot of Kickstarters, do you feel like 
um you know that's a, that's changed your approach to backing kickstarters or are you kind of quite comfortable i would actually say that me and paul are going to differ on opinions here because I, I speaking for myself it has actually put me off backing certain kickstarters yeah um and especially with games just adding more and more content because obviously at the end of the day if you're adding more and more content the box is going to get bigger and bigger which means the postage will get bigger bigger yes. bigger and yeah. being in the uk obviously we now have the the wonderful brexit tax Yep, and you know the loophole being closed of Kickstarter now having to charge VAT as well. It's you know it's making big box stuff very difficult to bring into the UK. You know, and, and mm. far more expensive than most other parts of the world. I'm not saying that other parts of the world don't have that same you know charges coming their way. You know, the big news at the moment is like you said, call me or not, and how much the Marvel Zombies game is being charged postage wise yeah. and you know people complaining that they didn't know it was going to be that much but you know when you've got so much content it's going to happen unfortunately so for me it is a concern and it does make me think a bit more about games however i'm still backing games my difference is that i have certainly curbed my kickstarter addiction since christmas anyway um i know i've backed a few and the latest uh, South Tigris trilogies just starting on Kickstarter, so that was backed. And obviously, we was talked about Mill and Tom's game. They came out earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both backed by myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I don't think I've got many on the list at the moment. Nothing seems to be jumping out. I seem to be heading towards my shelf of shame more than anything. I'm trying to bring out some of the games that I haven't mm. actually played yet. Yeah. Which, to be fair, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, but, you know, the shelf of shame, you know, that is, I think, a lot of people's situation where they've got too many games and they haven't played enough. Um, but but I, I think with the shipping side of things, you're completely right there. I think uh, when you said about what's the approach when you're making a game, one of the big things which I hadn't thought about when I started, but actually it's been a big thing now, is um like the weights and dimensions of the box mm. uh is 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 crucial. You know, as soon as you go up to the next weight band, uh then you are adding on potentially anywhere up to a pound more on shipping and and you know, uh at the moment it's yeah, it's definitely still recovering after COVID. Um yeah. and whilst it's definitely better it's still not anywhere near as good as it was before covid so it's uh yeah it's definitely i feel like probably the the worst thing to be saying before i'm saying oh and hey buy my game (laughs) but (laughs) at the same time yeah i do feel like shipping is something that um i think for smaller publishers who have smaller games and they're not going to put a million things uh, in the in the box it's very much a it's probably affordable and it's probably realistic whereas i think with the bigger games because it's become such a uh uh, and ex- people expect there to be these amazing stretch goals and loads of content and millions of pledges mm. for the bigger companies that I think it's so difficult to to you know kind of be able to stop that I think if you're a big company and you decided to to not do that I think more people would complain about the fact there wasn't enough content and yeah. probably then there would be about shipping and and I think that says more about the way that we approach the Kickstarters uh, than actually um you know then actually maybe the the way shipping is at the moment yeah because we know stop drop and roll had issues with their game when it was first initially on kickstarter but they went back and uh, resized the box and everything and managed to get a lower threshold for their games to be produced and had a successful second run at it yeah that's something that i think the community are very open to the fact that shipping is going to be a bit higher than usual yeah. they understand that um you know uh 
sometimes with kickstarters it's it's about supporting people as well as buying the game so it's you know sometimes the shipping will be slightly higher than if it was buying it from your local shops or anything like that but you know kind of from somewhere in the uk but it's uh yeah it's it's very difficult to navigate and i think that's actually one of the biggest challenges of doing a kickstarter now is just been costing everything and trying to anticipate where the cost could be you know um you know based on the quotes you have now and, and where you think them where it'll be in a couple of months or in a yeah. year or so on yeah and i think ultimately what what uh the consumers really want from publishers and, and self-publishers and that when it comes to shipping is is just transparency you know don't try you know not talking to you directly but what they don't want companies trying to hide you know what they're going to charge or, or or even just sort of going oh yeah no it definitely won't go up and then it going up you know yeah. it's like transparency all the way through if you've you know if, if you're that's one of the best things about crowdfunding you there is that update system where you can keep people up to date if you're being told that your your postage is going to go up that's an update update your backers you know just keep them in the loop so that they know what's going on and that they don't suddenly get stung with yeah. this whole thing of oh well i was expecting it to be twenty dollars and now it's a hundred and seventy dollars or something like that you know 100 percent. yeah so yeah Yeah. transparency i think not just with shipping but with production with all of that kind of stuff i've i've done more than enough kickstarters now where there are companies that are good at it (laughs) companies that are very bad at it most of the companies i'm happy to say are nicely sat in the middle where it's like yep i'm getting the right amount of updates about the production i'm getting the right amount of updates about what it's going to cost me when it arrives on my door you know and that's what i like from a kickstarter is just to know where i stand it's been uh it's been really good having you on chatting all things you know games and, and kickstarters especially because we all love kickstarters but uh, <laughs> yes i'm gonna hand the floor over to you so that you can give your up and coming kickstarter a full plug tell us when it's going to go live if you're if you're willing to to let us know that of course and, uh, yeah over, over to you well so obviously guys thank you so much for for having me uh and yeah it's been very nice uh just chatting like taking a break from doing the kickstarter to be able to just <laughs> chat about this um yeah it's coming to kickstarter on may 31st a couple of days before ukg so we'll also be ukg you can come down and actually try the game if you've backed it and so on and, and you know if you're thinking about it like do come down and, and give it a try but yeah really good game for um as a gateway game and it's a really good game for season gamers you like a bit of strategy and and competitive games you know like you've heard it from jason you know he's already in and he's never even played it (laughs) this is true well you say that about most kickstarters then (laughs) (laughs) this is also true (laughs) but um but yeah i so it's um yeah it's, it's definitely that kind of game for um you know for both kind of gamer and then um and yeah and even on a kind of uh on a different basis with the you know me being an indie publisher even just if you're not uh, interested in backing the game, if it's not your kind of game, sharing it out there and letting people know it exists because there'll be maybe someone in your friend group or your group group of gamers who, uh, you know, might actually, that might be their cup of tea. You know, that's so helpful. So any support like that really helps an indie publisher. And are you across all the social medias? Uh, we are. Uh, Trolls and Rerolls. We've got our website. Uh, we also have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And yeah, so Trolls and Rerolls, that is Trolls N re-rolls so not trolls and re-rolls it's trolls and re-rolls no if you put that into google it should actually come up with us still but yeah our social media you'll need to make sure it's an n not an and 
Of course, uh, yes. What, one of the many things you learn from starting a publishing company uh, is, uh, and, and as you saw with Amnet 3X as well, naming clearly is uh, not my strong point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything that's uh, complicated to say. <laughs> I would actually disagree with that completely because it makes it very unique. And yeah. it gives us great pleasure in trying to pronounce a, a word that... Yeah, but you still haven't tried to pronounce it yet. I haven't, and I'm not going to. <laughs> I think I think that has to be the end of the podcast, right? I think we have to hear you try and say the name. Or all the bloopers where he gets it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. where all the swearing happens. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, name of the game, Amulet of Thrayax. Perfect. Well, I, I, I don't know what you're so worried about. <laughs> See, Amulet it's because you said it really about two looking, seconds ago. Oh, this is true. <laughs> really looking forward to it, hitting Kickstarter. But, yes, thank you very much again for, for coming on with, and giving up so much of your time to talk to us more to the point as well so it's Absolute been pleasure. great fun I always love talking about games and hearing about what I'm going to be spending my money on <laughs> <laughs> and visiting no. the source of the loss of my money so <laughs> no it's been yeah it's been really nice guys and um yeah thank you for inviting me on it's been a Welcome. pleasure we look forward to playing it at uh, UK Games Expo absolutely yeah, so one last time let the people know where they can find you and about your Kickstarter, and then we will say goodbye. Uh, so you can find us on Kickstarter on May 31st, uh, and yeah, you can find us on trollsunrerolls.com, trollsunrerolls on all our social media, and that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we are going to hand over to Future Paul, who will be back in the shed to bring you news and crowdfunding campaigns for this coming week. Absolutely. Speak to you in a second. Yeah. Brian, it's been a pretty mad week, hasn't it? Absolutely, what with us playing Wonderland's War earlier in the week. Suffice to say, you don't have to be mad to work here, but it certainly helps. (laughs) That's right, it can come in bloody handy sometimes too. Well, that's right, yep, we snuck out to watch Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness last night too. Yep, that was another bit of mind-messing, wasn't it? Yeah, not sure how I'd cope in a universe where I was made of paint. Yeah, I suppose you're right, there would be a world where we were all ducks, but you're closing in on nightmare territory there. Right, i better start the news before I begin pondering the possibilities of being a duck. Hit it! <laughs> The designer of Root Coal Whirl is set to launch his next board game campaign on the crowdfunding site Kickstarter very soon. Arcs, Conflict and Collapse in the Void was originally revealed back in October as a space-themed board game that initially grew out of Whirl's previous release, Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. Whirl confirmed that Arcs would be a game that has players exploring a galaxy with their own secret objectives that they must fulfil in order to succeed. Unlike Root or Oath, players won't have set roles or factions in Arcs, Rather, they will have a starting identity that will determine their relationships with the other players and their goals for the coming game. Throughout the game, players will travel across space looking for whatever resources or requirements they'll need for their objectives. And as the game progresses, players will have the opportunity to unlock new resources 
or gameplay mechanics depending on their actions. Arcs will be split into up to three chapters, with players having the chance to carry over certain advantages between chapters and get into grips with any new gameplay mechanics that might need to be introduced. The world of story in each game of arcs has the potential to change dramatically and can even end in total destruction. Although each new playthrough of arcs will see the world and game mechanics being reset to their standard states, unlike in the legacy style game Oath, with players being able to have a completely different experience every time. Arcs can be played thousands of times and still feel fresh to players, with 40 to 50 different objective cards featured within the base game. The designer also said there are more narrative combinations in arcs than there are combinations of root factions. Arcs is set to be released by Leader Games, the studio responsible for publishing the aforementioned Root and Oath, as well as titles such as the asymmetrical board games Vast, The Crystal Caverns, and The Mysterious Manor. An arcs, conflict, and collapse in the void will launch on Kickstarter on May the 24th. Publisher Days of Wonder has announced the fourth title in its standalone Tickets to Ride City series. From designer Alan R. Moore, players can now build networks of cable cars in Ticket to Ride San Francisco, which is kind of humorous given that these days there are only three cable cars still functioning in San Francisco. But what the heck, let's just roll with it. Thematically, the plastic cable cars that you place on the game board including between Pier 39 and Alcatraz, represent all the different types of transportations that exist in the city. Ticket to Ride San Francisco features the familiar gameplay from the Ticket to Ride game series. Collect cards, claim routes, draw tickets, but on a map of 1960s San Francisco that allows you to complete a game in no more than 15 minutes. Each player starts the game with a supply of 20 cable cars, two transportation cards in hand, and one or two destination tickets that show locations in San Francisco. On a turn, you either draw two transportation cards from the deck or the display of five face-up cards, or you can claim a route on the board by discarding cards that match the colour of the route being claimed, or indeed draw two new destination tickets and keep at least one of them. When you build a line that connects a souvenir location, such as Lombard Street, the Embarcadero, or the Golden Gate Bridge, you take a souvenir token from that location. And for those of you that haven't played much Ticket to Ride, players take turns until someone has no more than two cable cars in their supply, then each player takes one final turn, including the player who triggered the end of the game. Players then sum up their points, scoring points for the routes that they've claimed during the game, the destination tickets that they've completed, and the souvenir tokens that they've collected, with a full set of 7 souvenir tokens being worth 12 points. You then lose points for any uncompleted destination tickets, then whoever has the highest score wins. Ticket to Ride San Francisco will debut at Target stores in the United States in June this year, then be available at retailers worldwide. Starting in August 2022, the game retails for $25 or around £20. One of the largest Kickstarters so far this year has undoubtedly been Marvel Zombies, a zombie side game. 
that amassed over $9 million for Simon. Offering the mechanics of the familiar zombie side game with the ever popular Marvel franchise, it was an unsurprising success and while some raised an eyebrow at the cost of the box, over £100 or $130 for the core box alone, and the huge all-in pledge at an eye-watering few pounds shy of £500 or $615. The quality of the miniatures and reliability of production meant these eyebrows didn't have a significant impact on the campaign. However, those who weren't put off by the initial cost and pledged for their preferred tier were found on social media over the weekend with the opening of the pledge manager, noting significant shipping costs that in some cases were 60% of the cost of the game itself. Although with any Kickstarter shipping costs are estimated, these seem to differ from those quoted on the page itself. For example, the highest tier pledge for shipping to the UK projected a shipping cost of £89, where this instead now sits at £183, with an additional £36 in shipping VAT. It's unclear as to whether this was an underestimated original value, given the rapid increase in shipping costs the industry has been experiencing, or an additional increase to those shipping costs as the Kickstarter was underway and since. It's clear that considering the amount of content being provided as part of each pledge, that a low-cost shipping was unlikely, but with rumours of direct shipping from China, it's certainly higher than many were anticipating. Simon has made no direct comment to disgruntled backers, however, the update advising the pledge manager requirements did say, We are very aware that shipping costs for this project are generally higher than what our backers are used to. Unfortunately, that is the reality of international shipping nowadays. Given the many crises the world is facing, shipping costs have skyrocketed all over the globe. We are doing our best to keep the costs in check, and we definitely do not profit from shipping. It's almost always the opposite case, so we appreciate your understanding. Many suppliers have referred to similar difficulties with both shipping from the manufacturer to shipping within countries, to additional charges encountered from outside aspects such as Brexit. We can see the impact of the pandemic is still having an ongoing effect on shipping costs, with Necromold's Monster Battles, for example, seeing a 522% increase, but it seems the situation has not resumed to pre-pandemic levels. A number of social media posts are calling for a cease to using Kickstarter and instead waiting retail copies. So I'm not sure how to follow that big bombshell into the Kickstarters we've been looking at this week, but to suffice to say, these games aren't the behemoths of plastic and play-doh and less likely to break the bank when they fulfil to you in the future. On that note, here's this week's crowdfunding campaigns that have caught our eyes. Our first up is Crooks in Crisis, the villain's party game by Gareth Breeze. It's for 2-6 to six players, takes 30-90 to 90 minutes to complete, is for 14 years and over and ends on Thursday, June the 2nd. Crooks in Crisis is a comedy game all about villains struggling with modern life. Players evolve and play as unique bad guy characters and compete to solve each other's problems with a series of drawing, writing, searching and performing challenges. To start the game with each player gets a villainous profession and a trait to start their character. 
The winner of each round earns a new trait to add to their bad guy character. The first of five traits wins the game. There are millions of character combinations and thousands of challenges to play in the game. So, pledge at £22 or $28 for the classic retail version of the game. £34 or $43 gets you the jetpack edition of the game, which is twice the size of the retail edition for twice the fun. Or why not immortalise your pet into a card along with a hidden profession card and gold embossed version of your jetpack edition of the game for £49 or $62. Next up is The Flood by Bedouin Games. It's for 2-4 to four players, takes 30 to 120 minutes to complete, 14 years and over and ends on Thursday, June the 2nd. In the Flood, players are taken back in time to the prehistoric world before the Flood. Their objective is to build a network of huts and camps and collect enough resources to build the Ark before the Flood. The board includes 23 triangular hexagons that are set up with the board edges being the weather markers. Tool tokens are placed on each triangular hexagon. When the correct commodity and tool is rolled, the players will receive resources. During their turns, Players will build and collect commodity cards, resource tokens, move the mammoths, as well as obtain story cards. Story cards control the weather and offer multiple other bonuses and also negative effects. Players can choose to strategically purchase re-rolls of the dice to potentially gain an advantage. Trading is a strategic part of the game, and players are able to trade resource cards with each other or the supply in two different ways. All players may lose if none finish building the Ark before the Flood. You can pledge at £45 or $55 for the base game, which comes with wooden meeples and any unlocked stretch goals. Grab the deluxe version of the game, which includes the base game, Kickstarter exclusive Beasts expansion and four ARC miniatures for £69 or $85, or go all in for £121 or $149, which gets you the game, Beasts expansion, ARC miniatures, Rising Water expansion, increasing the player count to six, metal coins, and a neoprene game board. As always, all those pledges come with applicable stretch goals. And lastly on Kickstarter this week is a Wombat Combat, and that's with a K, by Neo Troy Games. It's for two to six players, 30 minutes to play, 10 years and over, and ends on Friday, 3rd of June. Wombat Combat, that's with a K, is a two to six player turn-based competitive strategic set collection card game with combat mechanics involved. In Wombat Combat, as a commander, move your Wombat armies as sets to the battlefield strategically. Form up a squad and attack to punish, kidnap and steal precious Wombat Poo from your opponents. Yep, you're fighting for Wombat Poo. You should also be careful against possible events which may have various effects on this war, but whoever collects the most poo wins the game. In this game, each player is a Wombat General, managing their Wombats. Players recruit fighting wombats with different amounts of poo. When players have two or more cards of the same wombat in their hands, they can lay these cards on the table, if they want, to collect poo at the end of the game. If, however, an opponent lays out more cards of the same type, then the wombats of that type already on the table are flipped and placed in their respective player's burrow, face down. The game ends when one player lays down five different wombats in front of him or her, or the draw pile is exhausted. 
then players proceed to collect wombat poo. Each card depicts a wombat with a different fighting style. The number on a card indicates how many of that wombat is in the game. 18 samurai wombats, for example, but only 4 boxer wombats. The number also indicates the amount of poo that each type of wombat gives during scoring. Some cards have a special skill icon on the top left corner too, which only activates once as you lay them down. It doesn't matter how many cards with icons you have in one set of wombats. And the player with the most poo wins. In a case of a tie, tied players roll the poo dice once to break the tie. Pledge at £21 or $25 for the standard retail edition of the game. £25 or $30 gets you the exclusive Kickstarter edition of the game along with the Actions Expansion Pack. Grab the Kickstarter edition along with both the Actions and Events Expansion for £32 or $39. Or grab the All-In Pledge for £71 or $87 which gets you the Kickstarter edition of the game. The Actions and Events Expansion along with six neoprene player mats, as well as a central neoprene map. And all pledge levels come with applicable stretch goals. Tuesdays is Worthing Board Gamers' first night of the week, down at Dice Worthing from 7pm until 10pm, just £3 cover charge. Wednesdays has Crawley Gaming Community being hosted at the comic shop in Crawley Town Centre, tending to gather from 6ish onwards until close, £3 per evening, with plenty of snacks and drinks on offer. Thursday sees three groups running. First up being in the form of Worthing Board Gamers down at the Ardington Hotel in Worthing from 7pm. Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe are being a place from 7pm to 11pm. Also Jake and Chris would like to welcome you to Dyson Drinks in Burgess Hill for their Thursday evening social for just £5 per evening. And Crawley Gaming Club as always are here for you on Monday evenings over at Tilgate Community Centre from 6pm and just £3 per person. Well, yeah, I suppose there would be a universe where we lived in a mansion and not a shed. Nah, that's a lot less likely that there's a universe where you host the podcast and Jason, James and I are your minions. But you can dream, I suppose. Right, say goodbye to everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling, card shuffling, and we'll be right here for you next week. Mm-hmm.